Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bruno Talks podcast. My name is Leanne. I'm April. And we are excited. Uh, This season has been full of special guests, and this episode is no different. Um, Last week, we talked a little bit about um, developing healthy habits and self-care with our student staff. And so this week, uh, we wanted to kind of dive a little deeper into self-care and community care. Um, And I will toss it over to April. She can talk about... um, this episode in a little more detail. Yeah, so um, we have our friends from Counseling Services with us because today's topic is suicide prevention because September is Suicide Prevention Month. Um, And so we want to provide you with some knowledge and resources. Um, And I think also going into this episode, if you, if this isn't an episode you want to necessarily listen to, that is A-okay. You can catch us next week. Um, but I think it will be a really interesting episode from what we have planned. So Ryan and Monique, why don't you introduce yourselves, what you do at UNO, um, and let's get into the topic. Um, I do want to add just one caveat. Obviously, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, but this is something, this is a topic that we all can know and care about all year long, every day. If you are friends with someone or if you have a brain, (laughs) right, Um, this is something, a topic that can apply to you, so... Yeah, tell us more about yourselves. All right, great. Uh, thank you for having us. And again, like April said, um, you know, if if you know, hopefully you'll listen in. And if you need to take a break or you know step aside, that's fine. Um, I'm Ryan O'Pry. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm the assistant director at UNO's Counseling Services. Um, I've been here for three years, and prior to that, I did community mental health. And I am Monique Zellers. I am one of the graduate student interns at UNOCS, and I'm currently pursuing my MSW at Tulane. Great. So on that note, um, y'all obviously are professionals here. When we start talking about suicide prevention awareness, what are sort of, um, what are the first things that come to mind when you talk with folks about this? Where does the conversation start? So um, I think a big part is just acknowledging how big the problem is. Um, Of course, we hear about celebrity deaths and that's upsetting, but um, you know, when you really look at the numbers, people are touched a lot more either by suicide attempts, suicidal thoughts, um, or actual, you know, people that in their life that have died by suicide. And so just acknowledging that and that it's, it's growing. Um, And so, it's trying to find the balance between we're talking about mental health more and we are having, you know, are seeing a real trend in the increased number of suicide attempts and deaths. So um, just trying to understand what that is and, and how we can help. That's what comes to mind for me. And for me, um, I think when we begin to have like this conversation about suicide, either like, Um, in public spaces or in private spaces, um, it's really important um, to uh, normalize just having these conversations and acknowledging that these thoughts just generally exist, not shying away from it, um, and um, doing, building yourself up, like, as, as a person within your friend group to be able to um, to listen and to, to be there to support anyone um, who, who may come to you with, with these thoughts or urges. So Ryan, I think you touched on some statistics. Are there any statistics you'd like to share with us today? Yes, so um, just some worrying trends. Um, according to the CDC, um, over the past 20 years, the rates of completed suicides has gone up by 35%. Also, it's the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 and 34. Um, that was as of 2018. So if you sit with that and you know really let that sink in. And then um, also, I think more people know that um, 
you know, the rate is still of, of actual completions is still higher for males than females, but it seems to be closing a little bit. Um, but uh, another worrying trend that I think people are trying to understand, um, the um, Suicide Prevention Resource Center, um, they had a 2017 study with high school students, and I know we're talking to college, but there, are, there is some carryover, you know, I think that applies. And there were higher, there's a higher rate of suicide attempts um, if that number's going up among Hispanic and African-American students. So just trying to understand, you know, the numbers are closer when you look at like people that are thinking about suicide, the numbers get different when you look at people actually attempting. Um, and then just uh, from a NPR interview in this past May, they were looking at the crisis text line has seen a 40% increase um, in you know people reaching out since the pandemic. So just in general, people's stress levels are pretty high right now. I think um, like sharing, thinking about the statistics, like it's pretty staggering. And to know that um, most of us um, have been touched by suicide or suicidal thoughts or ideation or attempts in some sort of way, but I feel like there's still such a stigma about talking about suicide prevention. Um, have y'all found that to be true? And how do we, uh, Monique, you mentioned like we need to normalize these conversations. How do we start doing that? I think we're, we're moving in the right direction as um, right now in like the con in the collective consciousness, we're beginning to talk a lot more about like mental health overall. Um, right. And like, what does it feel like when you're feeling like yourself and what is it um, being able to, to verbalize with someone else when you're not feeling like yourself, um, when you're feeling down and what sort of, and when you're feeling down, what that does to your mental capacity, what that does to like your body. So we're beginning to have these conversations about kind of um, uh, when it's like, I think a popular thing on like Instagram is like, oh, like it's it's okay to like not be okay, right? You see all of these posts. So that's uh, one way to move um, closer to like beginning to have these conversations about um, people who are having thoughts about like, harming themselves or, uh, or like ending their life. And I think when you, as far as stigma, you know, like Monique said that, you know, you might be seeing more things being posted or talked about, but when you actually get somebody who's having thoughts of suicide, the response they get from people sometimes is so extreme and scary. Um, you know, and so we try our best to make that as least traumatizing as possible that like, you know, that person is not necessarily a danger. That doesn't mean they're a danger to you. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're quote unquote crazy. So we still have to move away from this idea about some of the myths like, uh, of, you know, what does it mean to be a person who's having thoughts of suicide? I think leads into a great point that like, I think part of the reason or that people don't feel comfortable talking about suicide prevention is because there are all these myths, like that stigma is built into um, by all these misunderstandings about suicide. And so um, can y'all talk more about that, like myths and truths that you hear often? Yeah, so uh, one uh, really common myth is that just simply talking about suicide will push someone like to attempt it like overall. So um, one reason people don't want to engage others around this conversation is they're afraid of like something they're, they're saying or opening this door that will make people, that will make a person go ahead and like take an action um, towards harming or killing um, their, themselves. And the reality is that like silence overall, um, there's actually like nothing to help a person who may be considering suicide, right? So, so being silent about it doesn't doesn't support the person, and it doesn't doesn't save that person. Again, it's it's about like when we talk about suicide, when we talk about like um, what it is that we're experiencing, that conversation in and of itself um, does a lot to help reduce stigma attached to kind of carrying those thoughts and um, moving through those thoughts. And then another um, big one is um, that I wanted to make sure, you know, is that suicides happen without warning. And I think people, they, 
so that's why there might be like panic if we're not acknowledging like I just gave all the numbers on how many people are actually reaching out for help. So if we know, you know, so if we first try to normalize that at some point in everyone's life, you may, you may experience these thoughts and not, you know, it may not be because of something, you know, a huge, you know, mental illness or something, just normalizing that. But then also this idea that I think people are afraid and they think that suicides happen without warning. So if you hear about it, you need to freak out because, um, or panic, I think is a better word. Um, just because um, you're not aware of like how common it is and how to respond. And so just that thing about most suicides happening without warning, um, that, that's not true. And, and most suicides, you know, when they've done the, the research after just to the interviews of family and friends, there were a lot of warning signs. And the big thing that they found was that people either didn't, weren't trained to recognize them or they saw them and didn't really know what to make of them. And so that's really just a big reason why it's, it's important that we're learning and, and talking about this. I think from my experience, like that panic and that urgency also comes from, um, like you love the person. Like if someone is sharing with you that they're having suicidal thoughts or ideation um, or have a plan, you want to prove that you care and that there's some urgency to that. And so I think that kind of like it's a very emotional response. We we care about people in our lives. And so I think um, to your point, like being able to identify signs sooner so that um, not necessarily that there won't feel like there's some urgency, but you can still have that, like you can have, you can be empowered to, um, to show the care that you want to. I think that's a good point that like some, a lot of us, we just don't know how to identify signs or what to do. Um, and so like that need to feel like we want to do something means that we like, we might respond a lot more strongly than is helpful because we don't know what else to do. So I guess like along those lines, what, what are your, your tips for folks who don't have training, who can't, who aren't sure what warning signs might be and how to respond to that? Because um, obviously we want to be in a space where we're doing more good and offering more support than any harm we might do because of like feelings of inadequacy or concern that we might have. Absolutely. And I think from everything that happens, it's better to feel a sense of urgency than to, you know, not feel urgent about it. So I, I think it's it's how to channel that that good intention um, into something that feels useful and you know just more productive. Um, I do wonder if this might be a chance for Monique to talk about like what would so I you know we acknowledge that anyone can have the thoughts, but what would put somebody at a greater risk? Um, Monique, would you mind speaking to that? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, to kind of frame out this conversation, um, especially as we're talking about uh, normalizing the existence of suicidal thoughts. And it's important, again, to, to underscore the fact that um, suicide touches every, like, part of our community, all age groups. Um, and um, any one of us could, could find ourselves in the position where we're having suicidal thoughts or, or thinking about harming or ending our lives. Um, so the things that put us at greater risk, we kind of think of them as professionals in like three major buckets. So like there are certain like health concerns that may increase your risk of uh, having suicidal ideation, um, environmental uh, factors or kind of personal things that are going on in your life and like your past history. Um, so thinking about health, um, there are certain like mental health conditions um, that increase the likelihood that someone um, will begin to have like thoughts of suicide. So thinking, um, so perhaps a person with um, untreated or severe depression uh, or uh, substance abuse may find themselves to be in a place where they're really vulnerable um, and they start thinking about possibly ending their lives. Um, and then on the other side of that, um, in addition to like mental health concerns, also tuning into like your physical health. So folks who have um, chronic illnesses, especially um, illnesses or conditions that are coupled with chronic pain. Again, these things cause a lot of like distress um, and make you extremely vulnerable. Um, so you may 
those folks may find themselves in a position where they're experiencing like an increase in like thoughts of like ending their lives. Um, in addition to that, uh, there's like environmental things. So um, life is just stressful, right? <laughs> um, and sometimes we, um, if a person is experiencing a major life transition uh, or is experiencing um, a situation that is really like traumatic or I think that could cause them to to have thoughts of suicide as well. So um, thinking about um, folks ending relationships and like divorce or major breakups, thinking about financial crisis, um, thinking about um, really any major like shift in your life, certain like deaths um, that you experience that um, are really complicated. Those things can again put us in a, a situation where we're in um, really kind of like distressing moment and, and find ourselves thinking of suicide. Um, and then lastly, what we look at is just the history of a person. So like, do they have like a past history of suicide attempts? Do they have a past history um, self-harming behavior? Do they have a past history of um, trauma, uh, childhood trauma and, you know, traumatic situations that happen in adulthood? All of these things can kind of put us in a position where um, we're thinking about, like, you know, where we're thinking about, like, harming or, or killing ourselves. So, um, so this is, like, uh, there's not, like, one, like, kind of prototype of a person who can find themselves in this situation, any one of us could be, could have, could find ourselves where we're experiencing, like, a major mental health crisis, where there's a situation in our life that's gone awry, um, or where uh, we're experiencing, um, like, trauma. Uh, so, again, it, it speaks to just, like, how um, important it is to, again, like, normalize the presence of this and, and, and begin to, to be there for folks in your community who are, who are struggling through it. And then I'm glad you talked about just the risk factors because those don't automatically mean that those people will have thoughts of suicide, but there can be a perfect storm of, you know, it's just you've got these different things going on in life and it's just acknowledging that some of us have more supports, resources, and um, we're doing better physically and mentally and that all of those things um, really impact our mental health. And so um, from there, if I was someone, I think Land, you had asked, you know, about just how to help. And so the other, so then the next thing, um, so going off of, okay, this is who's at higher risk. Um, what would, you know, if I, if I think somebody might be having thoughts of suicide, then what do I really need to start paying attention to? So if I'm a friend with someone, um, or a coworker or something, um, you know, a partner, um, I want to, I really want to start paying attention to three specific areas. And this is really where your relationship with the person will come into play and knowing what their baseline is. There are people that their baseline is more anxious, like their kind of day to day is a little anxious or, um, you know, maybe just um, not very motivated and, and uh, you know, and that, that's not a major shift. But for the people who like, so if you're looking at mood, um, that would be the first one. And, you know, you're seeing a change where it was somebody who was very involved and they just don't seem interested anymore. They might be really irritable, um, agitated. Another thing is if they've been very depressed for a long time and all of a sudden they seem relieved, that's, that's worrisome. Um, that might mean that they've decided that suicide will solve um, the psychological pain. And so now they feel relief. Um, so anything that's a major shift in mood is a concerning warning sign. The way that people are talking, um, so actually using words about like, you know, maybe I would be better off dead or um, using euphemisms or phrases that, um, that relate. So um, as I'm trying to think of just some others, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm better off dead. Um, you know, some, you know, I could just kill myself or, um, you know, I wish somebody would just, you know, I, just, I wish it would just end. Sometimes it's more vague. And so really paying attention to the vague stuff and the more specific stuff, but their talk is centering around this um, or that, you know, after a while, I won't even have to worry about this. And that it just it leaves you with a question mark and then their behavior. So increased use of substances, 
becomes worrying and it, you know, where normally this person can manage their, you know, their substance use or they weren't using at all. Um, and um, they have increased use um, searching online for methods. Um, and sometimes people will find that and that typically might be, um, it also could be things that you're seeing that they're writing about, like, you know, they're entering, you know, they're putting online, um, sleeping too much or too little, uh, isolating themselves and, you know, just kind of calling to say goodbye. And it could be more of like, you know, I just wanted you to know if something happens, you know, um, this is what I wanted you to know. So those, those are really worrisome things. Are they actually like talking and using references? There's a change in mood and there's a change in their behavior. Those are kind of the things that you would really start to worry about. Um, and then, so what do you do? So now you've recognized this and what do you do? And I did want to have just, um, you know, I want to let y'all jump in if you have any questions on that. Um, Cause I wanted to kind of talk about bad listening or like, <laughs> like we're really, good at not being good at listening. And I wanted to touch on that. Um, but I didn't know if y'all had anything um, about that before I move on. Um, I think I'm gonna hold my question for later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Monique, feel free to, to jump in if there's anything that I miss. Yeah. I just love the conversation about like, the way we're really bad listeners because I think it's so common and I laugh because I think of myself too like just in my everyday life and you know like you have to really kind of put yourself in that space to be an active listener um so ways so I'll go with like the things not to do first <laughs> if you're worried about someone and some of the not to do's are um, interrupting so really we have a hard time just letting somebody just talk and this means like getting into a space where you can have a private conversation with someone um offering advice, moving quickly and to fix it. Like, okay, well, if we just get you signed up for that and we'll just, and that's probably not what they need right now. They've probably been thinking about it for a while or if they're really in a tunnel vision mode where um, they're at a higher risk, they've, they've lost hope that anything is gonna really change things. And when you think, you know, that that's not really where you wanna go with people. And then when you think about depression or some of what we're experiencing right now where we have a pandemic that's lasted for months, a quick fix it can feel very much like simplifying what the person is going through. So it, offering advice quickly is really not the area to go into right away. Um, that one, I like. <laughs> one, I'm guilty of it in some situations, right? Because I think it comes from a place of good intention. Mm -hmm. I want to help you. Why don't you just try this yeah. thing, right? Yes. Like it, it feels like you're doing, so, you, you, you want to feel like you're being helpful. And so you jump in and you give some advice of something maybe you read on an Instagram post somewhere mm -hmm. or from your own experience, even though like your, like your mental health and anyone else's like could vary widely. Um, and so that one, I think I just really want to retweet that one, retweet <laughs> whatever. Like mm -hmm. I, I think like jumping in to give advice because I think, um, that's just like how we're socialized yes. is not to Absolutely. be mindful and listen and just let things sit. It's uncomfortable mm -hmm. to do that. So um, thank you for sharing that as like a what not to do, because I think that is something, at least for me personally, um, that I've been working on for a long time. It's like, no, sit and listen. You don't have to fix it everything. If there was an easy fix, surprise, it would have been fixed, right? <laughs> and it's just, I think, acknowledging that I think we don't give ourselves enough credit that like the act of think about when somebody really listened to you and you felt like some weight was removed. Not that everything was fixed, but you know, it, it really felt good. There's something therapeutic about being able to talk. And it, but like Leanne said, it can be hard because you, you are listening to things that may be hard to listen to. Um, and there is a point where you would want to refer somebody, but it's just not jumping into that right away. Um, and Leanne touched on some other things too, that all of us can be guilty of. And the reason that like we talk about it is like, it's so common that we have to work our way out of this habit. Um, one is like giving a lot of platitudes or statements of comfort. So like doing the whole, like when a door closes, like a window opens or, you know, God has a plan for you. Um, and God may, and like, that may be your belief, but for this person, what you're sending the message is, is that you're not comfortable with this conversation and it kind of, and it shuts it down. Cause you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, like, where do you go from there? If that person's not comfortable, um, it doesn't, that's the message that I think they're inadvertently sending. Um, 
and there is a time and place for aspirational or inspirational things. Um, but when we're talking about somebody in crisis, really the listening. Um, also, um, admonishing or giving anxiety responses like, I can't believe you're thinking of killing yourself. You do you know what that would do to me if you were, you know, dead? And like, so now the person, um, a lot of times when people are thinking of suicide, they think they're doing their family or friends. Um, they might be helping them because they're relieving a burden. Um, and, you know, where they're like, well, people would be better off without me. So now if you add the guilt of like, now I have to take care of my girlfriend or my boyfriend because this is now about them. It's really feels unfair. And maybe that means you're not the person to have the conversation. That might be a clue that it's too close for you. Cause I, I totally get why you might feel that way. Um, and then the other one I wanted to say is just turning the conversation to yourself. Like, you know, that same thing happened to me. And when I was a freshman, I don't, and you know, that's another way to close the conversation. So then if those are the things that close them off, then what do you do? And so, um, the big thing is active listening and hopefully people are becoming familiar with that phrase. Um, talk to the person, you know, make sure you're in a private place and do listening. And by listening, you're asking open-ended questions, meaning questions that would just elicit more information. So a question that's not a yes or no, it's like, um, well, tell me how that felt for you. And then that's just inviting mm -hmm. them to just say whatever they want using good nonverbal communication. So like nodding your head and like, really not looking at your phone or anything like you have their full attention. Um, and I do think you can express concern. You can say, look, I am, you are a good friend of mine. I am concerned. That's a little different, right? Than doing the panic or shaming mode. Um, and ask them directly. This is the part where you really need to ask directly. You know, you said, you can always rephrase it with, there's two ways I like to ask about, or two good ways I think to ask. You can either take something they already said. So if they said, you know, sometimes I just want to, just get out of here and I don't even want to be here anymore. You know, you mentioned that, like, did you mean that you were thinking of killing yourself? And you have to use the specific words. Don't use passive things um, because we really need to know what they're thinking. The other way is to a lead in that I like to use is a normalizing statement. Like, you know, sometimes when people feel blank, they think about suicide. So sometimes when people are going through a bad breakup, they have thoughts of suicide. I just wanted to ask, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? And so once you get that, any answer but a clear no to me is worrisome. So if it's like, well, you know, because somebody who's not thinking of suicide is gonna be like, no, I'm not gonna kill myself. I'm just, I just, I'm really disappointed. And so, okay, good. So that person's not thinking about suicide, might need some support. Anything else, if it's a kind of a wishy-washy answer or a yes is worrisome uh, or you don't get an answer. And so at that point, really trying to get them to the next person and not being the only one to know. So my question is like all a lot of the active listening you said is obviously like in person. We're in, currently in a mm -hmm. pandemic. So like I'm not seeing my friends on a regular basis, but I'm texting them, things like that. So like if someone texts you these kind of warning signs, like how can I express that concern and that listening to them in a not face to face verbal format? I mean, you could, and Monique, please jump in. I mean, you could ask them over text. I do think we're getting to a place now where there might be more opportunity to do virtual if you can, just to look at them and just to say like, hey, I really wanna dedicate the space and make sure I've laid eyes on you. And that's where I think coming into this talk about that we wanted to kind of touch on that I think y'all touched on last week about like, you know, being connected with people and having a schedule and a routine so that it doesn't, so that you're not kind of all of a sudden getting like, oh, well, I saw something really worrisome on your Instagram. It's like, no, I, I see you more often, so I would notice changes. So I think it can happen over text, and sometimes it needs to if that's your only way. But ideally, you know, you want to be able to look at them if you can. Like FaceTime them if needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Monique, were you going to yeah. say something? I think the way that you can um, be more in like community with that person virtually, like, is beneficial if they're like you know I, I I'm under like my bed you know pillows on top of my head I'm not gonna answer the phone call definitely respect that and and do your best over text message um, to communicate the sentiment that you're trying to to convey the the sentiment that you're trying to communicate we're all familiar with like um, kind of the nuances of texting um, and how you know punctuation 
<laughs> um, so um, just just doing your best and, and being present via text um, and making sure that what you're sending um, them uh, is free of judgment of how they are like experiencing this moment. So um, thinking about what you would say to a person like if they were sitting with you like one-on-one -on -one, and how would you convey that um, through text really doing more to convey that this is a judgment-free zone. I don't think you're a bad person because like you're, you've told me this or you're having uh, thoughts of suicide. I just want to be here for you. So uh, doing these active listening things, asking these open-ended questions, getting them talking about themselves. And I think this conversation about like, how do we show up for folks in our community who are experiencing like thoughts of suicide, um, a really great moment for us to um, figure out, like, how are we currently folding in some of these techniques to be, like, non-judgmental, to be open to receiving what it is our friends have to, to say um, outside of moments um, of, like, urgency when they're, when they're, you know, sharing that they may be having these thoughts. So, um, yeah, it, it can be a little bit trickier over text, but... I definitely think it's, it's possible. Yeah, and, and I would say, if it gets to a certain point, don't make promises. You know, that's the part where you don't wanna make promises about privacy. Um, you know, you wanna, like, I'm gonna do my best. You know, I, I am worried about you. So don't make promises, like, about that you're not gonna tell anybody um, because, you know, you wanna show up and be as real with them as possible. Um, and something about them telling you things means that they want help even if there's a part of them that also um, might want to die like part them there's ambivalence there and so you really um i think just trying to be genuine about your intentions that you know but over text the questions could be a little more you know you can still keep it open-ended by acknowledging a feeling and like that sounds like you know it sounds like you're feeling really anxious and panicky and um what did you do next or you know just anything to keep the conversation going at some point if it feels like my friend has been texting me for three days and and it's just i feel like if i don't respond something could happen like that's really where consulting comes into play and and getting some outside help um you can call the the national suicide prevention line and or um use the crisis text line and say hey i have a friend and they're saying this or that you know um what do you suggest you can also call counseling services. That's not uncommon. Um, I think faculty use us more um, and staff, but we are totally on board with talking to a student. And what we do is we do maintain the privacy of the person calling to consult, um, but we do ask for the name of the student if they're willing to share it only so that not because we will um, reach out to the person, um, but because if the person calls in, we'll have kind of an idea of what's going on with this person. Um, we are self-initiated with our services, meaning that um, we don't let parents or other people make appointments for students. Like the student has to want to come in. It's not a mandated um, treatment center. Um, but by letting us know and letting, um, if you let us know, we, we get a heads up that on the phone, sometimes people call and it just doesn't sound like a crisis because people's, you know how this is, like they don't, their mood may not match like their wording over the phone, they may have a professional voice they can make, maintain day to day. And so anyways, we're like, oh, I got a heads up and, and maybe we need to put this person um, sooner and get them right away. Um, but consulting um, also, um, you know, if you're worried, um, student affairs staff offers support. There's different parts of student affairs. So um, that can actually reach out to the student too to check in. I do think being honest with them about, look, I, I feel like this is, like you deserve, like what you're talking about is really important. And I think it's worth like, let me see how I word it. Um, you know, I'm worried about me being the only person knowing this because I think what you're talking about deserves more attention and professional attention. And I do wanna reach out to a few folks, not because I want you to get in trouble. Um, these are the folks who I wanna reach out to. And two things happen. One, you try to keep your trust with the person. And two, they're more likely to actually respond if somebody from the hub or, um, somebody from student affairs calls them. So just some things to think about. And, and another way to engage them is to, um, uh, uh, to ask like, if they are willing to like, uh, 
initiate that step like themselves with you like being present if you if you feel comfortable. So it's like, hey, you know, I I'm, I am a little. I really appreciate that you you told me this. Like I I can't imagine like how how difficult it must have been to to you know to actually reach out. Um, have you thought about like texting the crisis text line, or have you thought about texting the national suicide hotline? I'm I'm happy to like stay on the phone with you while you text them or while you call them, um, so that and just see like where like where they are and like their ability to seek treatment. Um, I think if if you could like um, depending on the situation, figuring out like if a, if that person is able to take that step to to receive treatment with you as like a supporter before like you um, begin to like take actions on behalf of that person could show a lot of like um, can help the person like remind the person of like their agency in this moment like. I'm just like giving you options. If you decide to take this option, um, that's great. And my presence there uh, kind of affirms that you're not alone in your effort to seek treatment if you decide to do that. I'm glad Monique brought that up because that is, yeah, I was definitely jumping into, you know, you do have to find out what they're willing to do. And if you can go with them, they're more likely to follow through on it. And then you can offer to be the person they check in with after about how it went. Um, and, you know, um, also just like who else knows, um, you know, it's better if they have a supportive family, it, it's really good for family to know, but that can be a tricky dynamic with adults and living at home. And sometimes it's not a good situation. Um, I, one thing about the rates of suicide, the risk level. So somebody who has a gun at home, it's very common to have hunting rifles and so, you know, or things for protection. Um, it does put somebody at a higher risk though, um, because simply having something so lethal in the home, whether you're like quote unquote scared of guns, if you get to a point and like all of a sudden something moves from like being a stressor to like, it feels like the end of the world, um, you know, like you're, you didn't get into the grad, you didn't get into grad school or your financial aid fell through. I mean, big, you know, stuff that feels like it's, it, you can't work through it. Having such an immediate deadly means is really worrisome. So um, that's the kind of area where I would just be cautious about trying to walk them through too much of that. But that's what family members can help with because if it's in the home, it, it wouldn't hurt to just make those less accessible. Um, if the person actually owns the weapon and it's theirs, you know, you do want to, that's where like agency comes into play too, where you do want to find out what they're willing to do with it. So if they're willing to give it to somebody for a while, that's better than trying to go and take things from people. Um, again, I don't want to move to, you know, at that point, I would hope that you're really getting consultation because you're moving into um, territory that's more like with professionals. Um, but, but just if you're aware of it, I mean, it is, you know, um, you can offer even to be that person to hold on to it for them if you feel comfortable. But it's just finding that line of like, um, you know, you don't want to put yourself at risk or really put yourself in the therapist role for two reasons. One, you won't know really when things have gone too far um, and that person really needs help. Um, and then two, that's a huge burden for an individual. So at some point, being the only person that knows is a heavy, heavy weight um, and you really need support for yourself. I really appreciate this conversation around just being open about like acknowledging that you don't have the tools and you don't have all the answers as well, because sometimes um, you can like feel that pressure, like I'm the person this person trusts. And so I need to take care of this. Um, so just to reemphasize, like, it's not a, like we all have different skill sets and you're not expected to have the same tools as a trained professional. There's a reason that people are trained professionals, right? And so um, using that, and I didn't realize that um, like crisis hotlines could be used by anyone until you shared that with me. Yeah. So like, I didn't realize that anybody could call and be like, look, I need help. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize any, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize anybody could call for a friend. Um, and so, um, but I think that's really helpful information because those hotlines, those are so easily accessible, you know, um, mm -hmm. 
most people know those and to know that anybody can use them whenever we need some tips or some advice that's helpful. Yeah. Um, just uh, another thing about the, the crisis lines are great. And also, if you call counseling services, you can give us a hypothetical. You don't have to give your name and you don't have to give the person's name. Again, there are reasons why um, you know, we would like to have the person's name, um, but we wouldn't tell, we wouldn't share that like, oh, so-and-so called about you. Um, but you can call with a hypothetical and, you know, what would you do in this situation? And we like to offer as much support as we can. Um, also, sometimes we just see people coming in for services because their friend maybe did actually attempt or self-harming and it was really upsetting. And so they just want to be able to debrief with somebody about that uh, for themselves. We've talked a lot about helping our friends and identifying warning signs in other people. Um, and I think it would be helpful considering we're all living in a pandemic, like a global <laughs> pandemic. It often feels like the end of the world. Um, so how do we go about, you know, taking care of ourselves and identifying warning signs in ourselves if it's not something maybe um, that we've encountered before? Another really great question. Um, I think yeah, so the, the pandemic has um, definitely um, put a lot of stress on, on all of us, and it's it's really important that we're taking the time to tune into, like, what's happening with us, like, mentally, what's happening with us emotionally and physically, and being able to um, notice those changes within ourselves, right? So um, self-care is of course, like a really big like conversation that folks are having. But um, for me, I understand self-care is like doing the things that are like in that are like enjoyable um, and things that like pamper, you know, me, but also doing things that um, uh, I call it like giving myself the broccoli, right? That, that overall like uh, helps my general like mental and emotional well-being. So making sure that I'm getting um, consistent like hours of sleep, a consistent amount of a regular amount of sleep that I would um, before the pandemic and noticing like when that's off, um, being aware of like how much I'm eating throughout the day, being aware of like the thoughts that I'm having. Like if I find myself um, going into a spiral where um, everything about the day is um, turning into like a is like spiraling into to negative self-talk, um, noticing that, noticing like what's happening in your body. Like, are you feeling more anxious? Are you feeling more tense? Um, so, so self-care and tuning into, taking that intentional time to tune into what's happening with your body and what's happening like, um, what's happening like mentally is extremely important in this time to be able to um, identify when you're you're going down um, kind of a troubling or worrisome path. Um, so that's the first tip is to, to get on your self-care. Um, and then the second thing is to, to be in community um, and stay like connected with folks as much as possible. Um, so of course, like we may not be able to like hang out with our friends and our families in the ways that, you know, we've been able to do in the past and, I, for one, am sometimes tired of Zoom, <laughs> but but figuring out like how to like how to balance that because um, as people we need people um, we need people who are there to um, to support us to uplift us and people who we can be like really honest with. So um, figuring out like what it looks like to be like connected with the people in your life um, and making a plan to do the best that you can to, to have honest conversations about where you are um, and um, have honest conversations about how you're doing and where you are. And then finally, like, um, I love therapy, right? I, I think therapy is like the best, it's my jam. Um, getting connected with a professional um, just as soon as possible you know, during this time, because this is an unprecedented time. This is a global, a global pandemic. There's been all of these huge transitions, like, that are happening in all of our lives. Um, we have the uprising. 
Um, we have a lot of like um, health scares that are happening. That's a lot for us as a community to absorb. So if you are feeling stressed, if you are feeling anxious, the best thing that you can do is to take care of your self-care, be connected with your community, and just start talking to a professional about ways to manage all of these things that are happening. I don't think anyone is expecting anyone to be able to master quarantine life right now, um, right? So um, get connected with somebody so you can figure, figure out how to master um, your life as best as you can. I think there's a lot of talk around like, you can't be expected to be as productive in a quarantine. Like it is okay to be tired and like there are normal level, like it's normal to be feeling more stress and more anxiety at this point. But I think you bring up a good point is like, you know yourself better than anybody else. And so stopping and actually paying attention to what you do. We talked about that last week that like oftentimes we just don't pay attention to how we're feeling yeah. or how we're doing. And so making that a practice, I think um, will help you notice these yeah. changes in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That can be super hard because we're, we're focused on like doing all of the things that we need to do, but but realizing that our, we have to be a priority for ourselves as well. Just as much as like our schoolwork is and our, our work life, understanding that tuning in and, and understanding, doing the homework of like Monique or doing the homework of Leanne, like and, and getting that sort of treatment, um, spending time to, to perfect like that or, or work on that is, is just as important. Yeah, totally a coping mechanism to distract yourself with everything else you feel like you have to do. So like making sure that like the homework of me is a priority um, and just as important as like the paper that I have due later or like going to work tomorrow, I think is like that's that is not normalized. And so like working that into our practice now uh, is good. Yeah, I um I, I like to call it like keeping store hours, like as far as your, you know, like you could like, you know, a store could stay open for 24 hours. Most don't. And that's probably because like uh, of the few customers you might have after eight o'clock, it's not worth the expenditure of like the, the money you spend to pay people and to um, keep the lights on. And in the same way, our emotional energy works that way too. Like we're pretty much, we have some good like peak time, maybe between like eight and eight like i don't know people are working and then at some point though it just becomes like it's like you're it's too taxing and so you might convince yourself that like yeah if i go if i push myself for 12 hours today i'm gonna get more done when in reality um you know much less was actually accomplished towards those last couple of hours and it wasn't worth it and it really would have been great to you know throw in some some self-care there and some prioritize sometimes so i like thinking of it as like keeping store hours for your emotional health because um, we only have so much room to hold things um, we're going to be we're doing a on fridays we have um a it's called isolated but not disconnected and it's a it's a self-care um it's a short self-care group it's only 30 minutes it's during lunch it's from 12 15 to 12 45 um, and you can find that on our instagram and on our website that's something that is just a way to kind of schedule in pencil in some time to go over different topics and just to meet some other people uh, other things that we have on our website and that we're trying to promote on our um, instagram page are things like doing body scans or meditation stuff that would if you're not used to kind of tuning into your body um, and what kind of thoughts you're having um, that's really important and um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, and then as far as scheduling with us, um, so you've paid for counseling services through your student health fees. So there are no fees for um, individual or group counseling. Um, there is, you know, we do career testing and there is a flat fee for that actual test, those um, two tests that we give. But, um, but anyways, people, all, you know, all they have to do is give us a call. Um, we're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30. We're asked that people call because we're doing things remotely. Our offices are small. And so um, telehealth has worked out pretty well. We can get you in pretty quickly. You can do stuff on your phone or your laptop um, and then get face-to-face -face with a counselor, you know, virtually. Um, and so we're, you know, really interested in being, you know, support for people. I think they forget because they're not on campus as much. Um, so... Um, and then we also make a lot of recommendations. There's a lot of free group things going on that are based on like yoga or just other wellness stuff, um, art therapy, 
Um, so if you're interested in those, you know, definitely give us a call if there's something that we don't offer, but that you want to know maybe that's being offered in the community. Awesome. And what is your Instagram? You know, counseling services. <laughs> Perfect. And we have a lot of stuff in our link tree and um, just for people to look at. Great. Is there any final uh, things you want to share with us? I think I want to say, like, if you yourself, like, find yourself, like, in a, a moment where you're having thoughts of suicide, um, just want to encourage you and know that you're not, like, you're not, like, a bad person for having these thoughts. There's nothing wrong with you for having these thoughts. And I also want to underscore that you are not alone. Um, um, counseling services is here. You've dropped uh, the numbers to a few um, other uh, mental health lines that you can connect with um, just to talk um, in this moment. Um, it's important that uh, I just want like all of the students out there, regardless of like how they're feeling, know that like you're not alone in whatever it is that you're feeling. There are people who are available to, to talk to you and to, to stand in community. We just appreciate having the conversation because it just breaks down. I know it sounds like a really heavy topic um, and it is on some level, but just even just acknowledging that, um, you know, that we all ex can experience psychological pain. Um, and we also, Monique mentioned, like we really need other people and we need community and that there are, um, you know, there are ways to, to get help. Um, and it's just kind of knowing how to get there and having some support to do that. So we appreciate um, being invited and having some space to talk about it. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I appreciate y'all sharing your expertise <laughs> with us, but also on a very human level. This is a, it's a suicide prevention is a human concern. Um, and I just appreciate y'all again, really normalizing it that any of us can encounter a crisis that we're maybe not prepared for at any given time, which is understandable, especially now, like our mental health is taxed for any number of reasons. Um, mm -hmm. And so just talking about it so that we're all more comfortable and also empowered to know that we have tools at our disposal, that any of us could call a crisis hotline, even with a hypothetical for advice um, is really helpful to know. Um, and knowing that there's a person on the other side of that, whether you're texting or you're calling, you're talking to a human being. It's not, um, it's not a computer mm -hmm. who's like listening for keywords and responding to you. Um, and I think, um, even though that's not like a friend, right, or like someone we know personally, knowing that it, there are other human beings out there um, who are willing to help us um, as, you know, as we deal with um, crises or with suicide, I think that's really important. Um, so thank you for sharing these resources um, yes. and being part of the conversation with us. Yes. Thank you all. Thanks. Um, next week, we are talking about voters and making sure that you're registered to vote so that come this upcoming election, we're all prepared and ready. So um, definitely join in next week for some of that fun. Yeah, great. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Come and join you know Brought to you by SIL, Student Involvement and Leadership.